Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. I'm Angela Brown, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader at Niche. Today, you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen to it on the go. You can find all of the resources that are mentioned here and the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. Okay, why don't we go ahead and dive in? I know it's a Thursday afternoon. I don't know if we have any anyone joining us from the boarding school world, but I know it's a big day today. <laughs> so if we have any folks on the call who are joining us from boarding schools, thank you for taking time on such a crazy day to hang out with us. So welcome everyone. I'm Angela Brown, the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for K-12 at Niche, and I will be your guide today as we talk through some insights from our 2021 PK-12 website benchmarks. Before we dive in, I want to cover a few housekeeping items that have a tendency to come up as questions. And so, oh, I see Fountain Valley School. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Oh my gosh, Acceptance Day. I know it's a big one. Super excited. I've loved seeing all of this on social media, all the envelopes and packets going out. It's a, it's a big day and a big time in the private school world in general. Um, so first, yes, we are re recording this webinar and we will be sharing that with you via email tomorrow. When you receive that email, make sure that you click on the links inside because that is where you'll find a link to the webinar recording page that will have a video of this presentation and any links to additional resources that come up during our conversation today. That email will also have a link to a podcast version of the webinar. So keep an eye out for that and feel free to share it with a friend or a colleague. As you have questions, you can enter those in the box in your GoToWebinar console. So I will cover those at the end. We did get quite a few questions in pre-registration, so I will be addressing those first, and then I'll cover whatever I can when we get to the end. And finally, if you have a question about your niche profile or the niche platform, please send me an email so I can connect you with someone who can give you some one-on-one -on -one support. For this session, we're gonna focus on questions that relate to our benchmarks. Now, before we get into our insights and takeaways, I wanna share a bit of background on the survey. I never want to assume that everyone has uh, poured through all of the data that we, that we provide on the Enrollment Insights blog before we have a webinar. So uh, benchmarks are based on website data for the 2021 calendar year. So it's not the current school year, but it's the calendar year. I do think that's an important distinction. We had just over 1,000 PK-12 schools represented in this year's report, and that's a range of segments, private, public, um, the full spectrum. We actually had a nice increase from last year's participants, and it's a combination of both niche partners and non-partners. And all of these schools use Google Analytics to track and report on their website data and granted us read-only access to their Google Analytics account. So if you haven't already, you can check out the full write-up analysis and charts on the Enrollment Insights blog with that link that's in the bottom right corner of your screen. So we're gonna go through this in the same order that they appear on the blog, starting with overall website traffic. The highlights here were that there was less traffic overall with a higher share of new users. And you're going to see that that's a recurring theme with some of the other 
um, data that we look at, this was also something that we saw on the higher ed side. So less traffic overall, but lots of new users. Private K-12, elementary, and high schools all saw traffic increases, and private schools in general benefited from increases in both traffic and new users, which is no surprise given the uptick in interest that we've seen the last couple of years in private schools. However, when we looked a little deeper into on-site engagement and performance, that's when we started to see more similarities between the segments. So as we looked a little closer, we saw that sessions per user declined pretty much across the board. So people are spending a little bit less time on PK-12 sites. Bounce rates were up slightly. And as we know, an increase in bounce rates is not necessarily a positive thing. And page load times decreased, but were highest for public middle schools, public high schools, and districts. And that actually pulled our averages up. So there are some things that I want you all to keep in mind with this particular data set before we get into variables that can impact some of these metrics. One question that came up in registration was how to prioritize all of the data in the benchmarks, because there's, there's quite a bit. And this overall website traffic section is actually a great place to start. These are all good overall indicators of website health for you to monitor month over month and year over year. So if you're not in the habit of regularly checking this data, that high level list of KPIs is a really good place for you to start. As you think about your bounce rates, outside of PK-12 education, a bounce rate of 41 to 55% is about average, and 26 to 40 is basically spectacular, <laughs> but also very rare. Um, and you'll see in our data that most school types are hovering in the 50s. So if that's where your website is, that really puts you in the middle of the pack as far as our industry is concerned. What you do want to watch for is high bounce rates on pages where people should be encouraged to view other parts of your website. So think about your admissions pages, your homepage. If you're seeing that places that should really be directing people to click through and spend more time clicking around on your website are not serving that purpose, that's something that you'll want to keep an eye on. You'll also want to keep an eye on your page load time. So three seconds is really the threshold typically where a user will get frustrated that a website is loading too slowly and then they'll move on. It's unfortunate that our attention spans have gotten so low, but that's where we are. And so only preschools are hitting that target as far as our, our data is concerned. So that three second mark is really where you're gonna try to be. And if you're not currently monitoring your site speed or if you don't know where to find that information, if you're currently on the universal analytics version of Google Analytics, you can check your page load times in Google Analytics. So you go to the reports panel and go to behavior and then site speed, you can get that information. If you're using Google Analytics 4, which is the newer version of GA, they actually don't allow you to do that. That report does not exist. But there's a tool called Lighthouse in Google's developer tools that you can integrate with your analytics so that you can continue to keep an eye on that. And we'll include a link for how you can do that in the notes for the webinar recording. Now here we're gonna look at a few things that can impact some of the variables that we just talked about, like your site speed, your bounce rates, and overall on-site engagement. And then on the next slide, we'll look at some ways that you can address some of these things. So for one, 
if a website is taking too long to load, as I mentioned, people are more likely to move on without going anywhere else. And so that's gonna lead to a high bounce. If you think about the things that cause high page load times, typically low quality web hosting, large file sizes and low quality code are all things that can have an impact here. But the biggest driver with schools tends to be video and photo files that are taking up a bunch of space on your site. So if you find that your page load times are on the higher side, at a minimum, you want to make sure that you're optimizing your videos and photos to avoid bogging your website down. And we'll get into that a little bit more on the next slide. And then looking at overall engagement, it's the greatest hits of clunky navigation, poor linking structure, a negative mobile experience, and any unnecessary barriers that you're creating for your current families or prospective families, members of your community, if you're in a district, from taking the actions that they need to take on your site. So here's a look at some things that you can do when it comes to image and video optimization. Make sure that your images are resized based on the way that they will be displayed. So a common mistake, especially if you manage your own website and don't have a third party doing this for you or supporting you, um, is to just take an image that you took on an iPhone or you know, if you're fortunate enough to have a really fancy camera that you can use to take photos in-house, downloading the image and then plopping it onto the website without optimizing it for the way that it will be displayed. So if you have a 6,000 pixel image, for example, that will be displayed at 500, you're gonna to wanna to reduce it to 500. And then with your videos and photos, you can actually compress them. Photoshop has a great save for web option that can help with this. There are lots of video compression tools that can help with this too. And one little known fact is that JPEGs are actually a compressed image format that can maintain a, a photo's integrity without consuming a bunch of space. So if you're not, already in the habit of using JPEGs on your website, that is a good way to go. And then the happy website checklist is really a list of things that at this point are considered best practices for websites, but they still don't always happen. So PK-12 schools are still catching on to internal linking, which means avoiding dead ends on your website. If you've gone through a website redesign recently, especially with an outside vendor, they've probably walked you through this, but just about every page on your site has an opportunity to link to another page within your site instead of your visitors getting to a page that leaves them with nowhere else to go. You also wanna make sure that your navigation is simple and intuitive and that it takes pe people where they expect to go when they click on a link. That sounds very simple, but I encounter really clunky and crazy navigation all the time. <laughs> so it's something we see a lot. So it's, it's definitely something to think about. And then this last thing is that responsive design is an absolute must at this point. It's no longer a nice to have because so much website interaction is happening on mobile devices, especially now that people are getting out and about again, they're getting away from their desks and their desktops. So if you have a website that looks beautiful on a desktop, but the functionality or the design breaks down on a cell phone, that's going to be a problem. And it's also something that you're gonna to wanna to watch as you add new pages and content to your website going forward. So now we're gonna jump into organic search. 
And here you can see that search volume increased for all of the major search engines with a pretty significant increase for Google by an average we saw of more than 12,000 additional sessions. So a really big jump with Google. And given all the movement that we've seen from parents as they've changed schools, you know, looking for information about COVID protocols and, and, and the list goes on and on, it's not really a huge surprise to see that search volumes have increased so much. But again, I want to flag engagement because that's where things start to break down. So as we look at the rows for each search engine, you can see that even though traffic in new sessions came up from the major search engines, with the exception of Bing, the KPIs for website engagement were down from last year. And as you know, traffic is only helpful if you can keep people on your website once they get there. The good news is the variables that we just went through, like the internal linking, the responsive design, intuitive navigation, those are all things that can help with that on-site engagement. So on the next couple of slides, I want to focus on some very simple SEO tips that you can use to help you take advantage of the increased search volume that we're seeing. So the disclaimer that I want to add here is that SEO is challenging, it's very nuanced, and the results are not immediate. So I am not going to attempt to give you all a in-depth lesson on SEO, but I am going to share a few very basic things to help you get started if this isn't an area that you're already investing in. So first things first, your keywords, right? So you can use tools like SEMrush or Moe's has a keyword explorer that you can use to identify keywords to target. And these are the words and phrases that families are using when they search for schools that you could potentially show up for. The next step is to make sure that you're keeping your website healthy and crawlable, meaning a search engine can find information that's relevant quickly on your website to respond to a user's question. Some things that can impact your site's crawlability are things like 404s, so that oops page that you see when you click on a broken link or an unavailable page on your website, and also the misuse or lack of H1 and H2 tags. So those header tags do more than just make your website content look better. They actually help Google understand how your pages are structured. So it's really important to use those and also be aware of duplicate content because that can be confusing for search engines as they're trying to figure out how to prioritize the content on your site. Another thing that you want to make sure that you're doing is using title tags and meta descriptions for every page and alt text for your images. So alt texts are really important. And I think when you're going through the day to day of trying to update your website, it's easy to skip that step, but they help both with ADA compliance and for search rankings. So, you know, for districts, the ADA compliance is a must. It's not required for private schools, but it is something that you should still pay close attention to. And then of course, there's the search piece. The good news about the title tags, the meta descriptions and the alt tags is that you should be able to update all of these in your CMS. It used to be a lot harder to make those changes and to maintain all of those, but it's much simpler to do now. Continuing down the list, you want to make sure that you are using plain text for your headers and footers. So instead of a logo or a seal, for example, your footer is really about providing content information, contact information about your school. So you want to make sure that that is a text based area. And then for your header, where it's much more common and appropriate to use your logo in that location, you just want to make sure that you're including alt text in the image file for that logo. 
And then this last one speaks to the importance of offsite optimization through third parties because they also contribute to your ability to get found online. So starting with your Google business page, that's very important because local results are typically favored in search and having a current profile makes it easier for Google to match your school with the correct searches. And then of course at Niche, our SEO is very powerful. So school profiles have a tendency to show up in search before a school's own, own website actually does. Um, a, a lot of the time that can be the case with districts as well. And so taking it even a step further, reviews are also important because they serve as another ranking factor for Google. Why? Because it tells Google that your institution can be trusted and search is all about trust, right? So soliciting reviews from members of your community for platforms like Niche and other school search sites and review sites is something that I would recommend making at least an annual process. Next, we're gonna jump into organic social. So there was definitely some interesting things here, um, very similar to the website traffic data and the organic search data that we looked at. Overall sessions came down while new sessions increased. And then we see that drop again with engagement. So Facebook was our biggest traffic driver and that's similar to last year, that's not a change. Um, followed by Twitter, which was driven largely by districts, and then Instagram. But we did see a 59% drop in website traffic from Facebook. Um, that was a stat that gave me pause. It was a pretty, pretty big dip. Now, historically, especially for private schools, social channels have been used more for things like community building and retention. So there hasn't been a huge focus on using it as a vehicle for driving website traffic. So for that reason, I wouldn't expect these overall numbers to be huge, but I would also expect more sessions than this over the course of a, of a full year. Um, so there is a little bit of a surprise there. What I think this also points to is a need for a shift in content strategy as schools think about how they use social media because we know that families are using these channels, but we also know that they take up a lot of time. So we're gonna dig into that. So here I want to share some ways that you can start to shift your thinking around your social content so you can balance the day-to-day, -day, here's what's happening on campus or in our community content with content that drives users to your website and serves a wider range of audiences. So first you wanna start with the high traffic platforms we just looked at, um, which can be a helpful guide as you're thinking about introducing new platforms into your social mix. Um, you'll see that TikTok was not on this list. So <laughs> something to keep in mind. We are not anti-TikTok, but we are very pro-data and pro-traffic. So definitely something, something to think about as you're thinking about the mix of platforms that you're using. So even though the numbers have come down in the last year, Facebook is still known to be a big driver of website traffic. And that's true both inside and outside of our industry. You also have to think outside of them a bit though. So what I mean there is that a lot of social channels are designed to keep people within the platform and not take them away to another site. But it's still wise to incorporate content from your website into both your paid and your organic social content. And that can include anything from links to blog posts and stories on the news section of your school's website to event registrations or content downloads, which I'm a big fan of for your, for your paid strategy. 
I am also a big fan of using brand-centric themes or pillars as a framework for your content. So anyone who knows me well personally or has heard me present before knows that branding is a very, very important thing to me. Um, but I also think it's very important in the way that schools and districts market themselves. It can help you stay focused. It can help you identify your school's unique strengths and also to know what kind of content to share week to week. It serves as a filter, essentially, for your content strategy. And that includes posts that link back to your website. As you're sharing this kind of content, you can simply add a call to action to the end of your post. One thing I want to flag with link or not LinkedIn with Instagram because it does not currently provide a great native solution for sharing links within a post is the importance of using a link service. Linktree is a really popular one. Willow is another. Um, Linktree is not very expensive. The last time I was using it in-house, I think it was $6 a month for a premium account, which is a very, very nominal fee to give you analytics for how people are interacting with your, with your links and to avoid the frustration on behalf of your followers of having to highlight a link within a caption, copy it, and then paste it into a browser. It's highly unlikely that people are doing that and it can be a frustrating experience to try to do that on a tiny screen. So do your followers a favor and get one of those link posting tools in place ASAP. You do have the ability to include links and in stories now. So if that's not something that you're currently doing, it's definitely something to consider incorporating into your strategy. And then this last one might be surprising if you haven't heard it before, but it's true, especially with Facebook, with all the algorithm changes that they've been going through in an effort to try to get more and more content contributors to pay to play, so to speak. Um, and that is to post less. And so it seems strange, but it's something that's worth testing at a minimum. See what happens over time, not just with engagement, but with your website traffic, if you alternate before posting more frequent, between posting more frequently and posting a little bit less frequently. The other thing to keep in mind is that Facebook users share a million links every 20 minutes. So there's a lot of competition in that feed. So all of that is to say, posting less these days can be a good thing with that platform and it's definitely something to try. So next, I want to share a few factors to think about as you're creating posts that you want people to click on. And I'll go through a couple of examples on the next few slides as well. You want to use teasers in your images and copy. Standing out in the feed is important. It's all about stopping the scroll. And you can do that with emojis to the extent that that's appropriate for your school's brand. With text formatting, you can do bold text in captions on Facebook and Instagram. And your images are really, really important here. Um, and I'll, I'll share a post in the next slide that has a great example of what that looks like in practice. Um, also on Instagram, you want to tell people once you have that great linking tool in place where to go to access the link for a post. Typically, that's that link in bio um, language that, that we've all gotten used to seeing. And then don't be afraid to be shameless. I, I think schools are so fortunate in that you all benefit from having audiences that are inherently engaged and and passionate and enthusiastic about your brand. So take advantage of that and don't be afraid to ask them, ask them explicitly to share your content. 
So here we have two different examples, one from a private school, one from a district. The one to the left is actually my former employer. And you can see here that they have a summary paragraph with a call to action at the end that links to a full article in the news section of the school's website. There's some strategic tagging that's also happening here where you can see that they've tagged a couple of organizations and that's just a great best practice for improving the reach of your posts. And then on the right side, we've got this great, great example from a district and there they've got it all. They've got the emojis, they've got the copy formatting to break up the text. If you've got a lot of text, definitely take advantage of, of adding some breaks in between lines. Um, they've got their call to action at the end before the hashtag and this fabulous image of this little boy who is um, clearly enthusiastic about the shark book, but it's, it's an image that makes me smile every time I see it. And so um, it's a great example of the kind of thing that can stop people, but also get them to click. And then this is a very simple example from Instagram. You can see that they've got another compelling image, nothing beats happy students, um, a nice brief caption, and then that call to action to visit the link in bio before you get to the hashtags. Um, in this case, it's a link to showtimes um, and ticket information for this performance. And now we're gonna wrap things up with digital marketing. The highlights here were that overall paid traffic volume came down but new sessions increased, so we're seeing that again. All segments except for districts increased their Google ad spend last year, and in some cases, more ad spending did lead to more traffic, but engagement was flat year over year. So as you think about improving engagement with your paid ads, it, I'm a big believer in that it all starts with the offer. What is it that you are giving to the person that you're expecting to click on your ad? Private school in fill in the blank location is not the most compelling headline. <laughs> so at the top of the funnel, you wanna give families um, something that will help them in the process or tell them something about you. So you might consider adding information about a ranking or a signature program. Don't be afraid of hyperbole in your headlines. There's lots of bests and mosts and leasts um, that I see in headlines that work really well. Well, not leasts, but bests and mosts are always good. Um, and you know, you could consider doing something like a lead magnet that can help them with the process. So something like a kindergarten readiness guide or a tool for comparing schools, since that's some, you know, that's exactly what they're doing. So why not help them in that process? And that positions you as a resource that they're also more likely to come back to. And then from there, it's all about the landing page. And yes, your ad should be sending people to landing pages, not to your homepage. Please don't do that. Your landing pages should clearly connect to your ad. If someone clicks on an ad and it takes them to something that they don't expect or to a homepage, it's highly likely that they're going to bounce because there's a disconnect in the experience or they get to a homepage and they don't know what to do. Your landing pages should also be mobile friendly. That's, that's another really big one. The form should be short, especially for people who are very early in the search process. I'm a big believer in shorter inquiry forms. Um, they should have a good use of white space. They should be clear. They should be action oriented and have a very clear CTA. Um, with some nice verbs in there that, that, that are clear about taking an action. 
And then the form completion experience, this is something that not everyone thinks about, but it's really important because you wanna tell people where to go next. So a lot of the time you might complete a form and see something like success or thank you, someone will be in touch with you shortly. And that's really a missed opportunity because your form completion experience is another way for you to show them more about your school and to encourage them to do more clicking. And so you might consider asking them to then, after, and it, thanking them and telling them what you expect is, is still appropriate. You know, thank you, someone will be in touch with you shortly. But in the meantime, here's a link to our events page. Here's a great video on fill in the blank program or a testimonial. You know, the, the list could really go on and on and it all depends on what the form is for and what the logical next step is. But don't just say, hey, it's great that you completed the form and then let them exit. Give them an opportunity and a reason to continue to click around. And then finally, you want to design your ads for where people are in the process. So a lot of the time I will see an ad from a query like best, you know, private school near me or fill in the blank district. And you'll see something that is inviting someone to take an action that they're not ready to take. So in a private school example, if you are running a search ad with a headline that's telling someone to apply, that doesn't make sense. They're not ready to do that yet, right? They're just now starting to look at different options and start comparing schools. They're definitely not ready to apply. And we're, we're getting out of a place where people are trying to walk away from something. And so they're, they're, they're applying anywhere and everywhere that they can. They're starting to kind of reset and be more discriminating again and go through a more traditional process. So don't ask people to do things that they are not ready to do yet. So now with that, I'm going to get into our pre-submitted questions. We have lots of them. So let's go ahead and jump in. This first one is, what are the digital trends with marketing storytelling specifically in education? So this is one where I don't see it so much as a trend because that would imply that it's happening on a broader scale and that it's somewhat temporary. Um, but I do think that there are some schools that are finally coming around to the urgency and importance of having a unique brand identity that's well-defined and using that as a driver for their marketing activities. And that's showing up in their photography and their messaging, the music that they're choosing for videos, um, the filters that they're using for photography. I mean, the list goes on and the result is a much more powerful outcome, whether it's a website, an ad, a social post, whatever the end result looks like, because it tells a family or a student that this is a different place. This is something different from what you're used to seeing and also sends a stronger message about what that means and inherently encourages them to want to learn more. Um, and so that's something that is really important. People have a lot of choices. And so to the extent that you can stand out, there isn't necessarily a, a tactical difference that I'm seeing. It's more of an approach that I'm seeing that's really positive. 
the caveat that I'll add to that is that I'm seeing it a lot with schools that are very well resourced from a budgetary and staffing standpoint. And so the challenge there, it's not to say that there aren't some small schools out there that are not doing amazing work. There are some smaller schools that are absolutely killing it from a marketing standpoint and doing things that are very creative. Um, but if you have a smaller budget, if you have a smaller staff, if you haven't gone through the work of hiring a firm to come in and help you identify what your school's unique brand and value proposition and message, um, what all of those things are, it's a little bit tougher. There are some lighter weight things that you can do to start to tease those questions out. Um, it could be as simple as leaning into your mission or a set of core values that you have. Um, but using that brand lens in your storytelling is something that, you know, the big consumer brands have been doing it for a while, but we're just getting there from, from a PK-12 standpoint. So this one is how do you balance the need for your website to be a marketing platform for new families and an information portal for existing families? And I know this one came from a district and that makes it a much more challenging question. With private schools, you really can and should take a prospective family first approach to your website's design and your content. But district websites have to work a lot harder than websites in other segments because of the range of audiences they serve. And they really do have to serve all of those audiences. There's no way around that. So I will share some things that I've seen work well that might be helpful to the person who asked this question and to others who are in this situation. Um, but one overarching thing I will say is that it's really important to find a vendor to partner with who really understands that need and has demonstrated expertise in meeting it. So your homepage is absolutely critical, probably even more so than it is for other types of schools because it has to tell a story, but it also needs to direct your families to key pieces of information. I've seen some districts use very simple navigation that basically segments their site. So if your current family go here, prospective family go here, and if you're interested in employment, go here for, for as an example. So they basically create a hub for each constituency group. Um, I've also seen content organized by community resources, parent guardian resources, and staff or employment resources. So that's another approach that I've seen. And then at the school level, having consistent navigation between your district site and individual school sites is also really important. Um, but it's really a dance. I think the, the biggest thing is to make sure that you're creating very clear navigational pathways for the different audiences that you're serving. Um, so that they can clearly see where they need to go to access the information that applies to them specifically. And also having a really, really strong on-site search function in place. Um, it, it's kind of that one-two punch because sometimes people, you know, they'll click around a little bit and then they'll say, I just want to find the thing that I, that I want to find. And so that's something that's, that's really important as well. So this next one is, what are the key elements of a great school website and what areas do visitors view the most? So this is a great question and I, I'll break it down. Um, I'll start with the first one. 
in general, really, the nuts and bolts of a great school website are not any different from any other site. And, and there are a lot of the things that we talked about earlier. So your site has to be responsive and accessible. The navigation should be clean and intuitive, which goes back you know, to the last question. Um, be lighter on copy. I, I still see a lot of school sites that have a lot of very dense writing and that doesn't really work for people anymore. So you want to get to the point and get there quickly. Keep your calls to action visible, logical, and well-designed. Um, and give people opportunities to help themselves. This is another thing that's sort of newer, but in the age of chatbots, people are getting more and more accustomed to solving a lot of problems and answering a lot of questions on their own when they're researching purchases before they interact with someone or take a more labor intensive action, like going somewhere, you know, coming for a visit as an example. And so giving people opportunities to help themselves with with chatbots, with FAQs, with landing pages to request things instead of having to send an email and then wait for someone to respond. To the extent that you can help families help themselves, that's something that's really important and helpful. I think the big difference is that with school websites, there's a need for more of a storytelling element than there can be in other in industries, but the nuts and bolts are really the same. Um, one thing I actually, I share with people quite a bit is that I was recently a judge for a private school awards program, the Inspired School Marketers Brilliance Awards, um, in this category. And that's actually a really great place to start for ideas. I think any sort of like awards program, you know, case is another great example. As you look at their awards, if you're an Inspira member looking at programs and platforms that have won awards there, those are always great places to look because you can see what success and best practices look like and you can also see why. And those can be really great um, sources of inspiration. To get to the traffic question, for private schools, we tend to see a lot of traffic on tuition pages. You know, families want to know before they fall in love with the school, whether or not it fits with their budget. And so tuition pages are always very high on the list. About pages, pages related to academics and athletics tend to be very popular. And then there's sort of a long tail of admissions related pages that, you know, and all of this makes sense in relation to, to each other. For districts, the content tends to focus around very time sensitive things, especially right now, and information related to things like registration and the processes around registration. So what are the things that I need to pull? If my child needs an IEP or some sort of accommodation for a learning challenge, then what do I need to, to make that happen? Um, transportation is actually a really big one too across the board. Um, I feel like transportation is is kind of a sleeper <laughs> when it comes to things that that schools highlight, but it's really important to families, especially at a time when there's a lot of movement in in, in families changing schools and relocating to different to different places because of this migration that we're seeing during the pandemic. And so, don't hide your transportation information because families are definitely looking for it. Okay, this is our last pre-registration question. Does running more ads increase your bounce rate? So the short answer is not necessarily. 
Um, it actually depends on the kind of ad. So display ads historically have had high bounce rates because unlike paid search ads, you aren't dealing with high intent website visitors. You're dealing with people who are looking a little bit more passively. So you might be targeting people who are interested in your school type, for an example, but they're not actively searching for a new school. So our digital marketing team typically sees bounce rates for display ads in the 60 to 90% range. So they can be very, very high. Um, so if you're seeing high bounce rates for display ads, I wouldn't necessarily let that scare you. That's to be expected. If you're seeing high bounce rates with paid search, that's a different story. And that flags for me a disconnect between your ads and your website. So it might be an issue with how your ads are targeted. Um, it could be an issue with your copy, the landing page experience when people get to your website. But if your ads are generating traffic and you're seeing high bounce rates, that basically tells me that for some reason, people aren't seeing what they expect to see when they get to your website. I actually, just this week, I did a search for charter schools for a survey that I'm working on and an ad for a private school near me that I know does not fall into that category popped up. And so like the nature of the school wasn't evident in the headline. So a parent who clicks on it would quickly be disappointed <laughs> and then click the back, back, the back button. So um, all of those are, 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 are factors that I would dig into if you're seeing high bounce rates with your paid search ads. Any tips for video versus image only paid ads? That's a tough one because it's not necessarily, there's no hard and fast set of guidelines. So I would actually encourage you to try both and test their performance. How much should charter schools spend per year on marketing? Do you know the average? So off the top of my head, I don't know the average. I never get into shoulds because it depends on so many factors. But if you go to our PK-12 State of Enrollment and Marketing survey from last fall, you can segment by, by charter schools. I can't remember if we pulled that out specifically with, uh, with marketing spend, but I can take a look. I'll include a link to that survey in the... Um, in the notes for the webinar, but there is some data in there that can help you at least get a baseline idea of what people are spending on different things by segment. What about translating your, this will be my last one. Um, this is a question about translating your website to other languages. Is it a best practice to have a button to choose the language you want to see the website in? I would say yes, that's definitely the most common approach is to just have a button that allows people to view it the, the way that they want to. I would put that in the cell or, or need to. I would put that in the self-service category. And actually, as a, a teaser slash plug for those of you who are still on the survey that I referenced earlier that I, I was doing the charter school search query for, it's actually a tech stack survey, a PK-12 enrollment and marketing tech stack survey that we'll be launching this spring that's going to look at things like what are the translation tools that schools are using for their websites, and that will be segmented um, between districts, charters, and private schools. Um, so that's going to give people a look at 
what some of the specific platforms are that people are using in each of these segments to, to complete these tasks. Okay, so we are at time, but I know that there are people who still have questions. So <laughs> what you can do, if you've still got some, some burning questions for me, is to feel free to reach out to me using the information that I have right here on this slide. My email's right up there for you. It's always open. I'm also happy to do a LinkedIn connection if you'd like to keep in touch that way. Um, I'm happy to answer your questions and provide any support that you need. I'm also happy to connect you with our digital marketing team. One thing that we do that not everyone knows that we do is we do free Google Analytics audits. So if you have some questions about your school's Google Analytics um, that relate to this survey or otherwise, and you're hoping to have some expertise in dissecting some of that information, please feel free to reach out. Um, but with that, thank you so much to everyone who joined us this afternoon for our boarding schools friends out there. Happy acceptance day. I hope you have a great day and yield a lot of wonderful students. And I will see you guys at the next one. Um, shameless plug, we are having a virtual summit next month on April 26th. So if you have not registered for that and you're available, please do. And if you're not available, register anyway so that you can get the link to the recording for the 10 fabulous sessions that we have set for that day. Thanks, everyone.